everybody, welcome back to He's a Giant, episode four. Uh, I'm Sal, this is my co-host Monty. What's going on guys, how we doing? We, yeah, we're all very sedated by the game we just saw. So it's episode four, we're doing a combination of a... Yes, my, <laughs> my free John Mara diet Pepsi. Uh, <laughs> uh, we're going to be going over the recap of the Giants game tonight against the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, what was the final score? 30-12 to 12 loss. Uh, yeah. We're going to go over the game, and we're, when we're at the end of that, we're going to go into our fourth position group, the interior offensive line, uh, which is ever, increasingly looking like an area we're going to be drafting next year. So we've got some guys to go over. But before we get there, Monty, what are your thoughts on the game that just ended in the last hour? Man, it's, it's hard to have a strong feeling on it. We got blown out, but it doesn't necessarily feel like we got blown out. We, just, we were talking and kind of just, we kind of just got bled out is what yep. happened. But um, and it sucks because I know we all went to this game expecting to lose. At least most of us did. I know you and I did. Yeah. And in theory, if you told me the game went this way, I, I'd be like, okay. But it felt like a game that we gave ourselves a chance to win. And every single time we had a chance to capitalize and actually win a game against like a big time opponent, it was every single time we came up short, whether it was putting them on the third down a billion times, probably the most times you ever put a team in freaking third down, we couldn't make a stop or Daniel Jones needs to step up and, and be the playmaker with his left tackle and his star running back out and, you know, do something to like, raise above and beyond and like i'm not to say that i'm blaming this on daniel jones but i i want i want him to make that next step and i'm waiting for it and he doesn't do it and like something i would have seen eli do i'll say that i'm not blaming it on daniel jones but something i i I know i've seen eli do before and it just didn't happen and it's it was it was we had a shot i felt like how about you yeah, I was saying that, it was, that it, we were talking about it. It felt like we were just being slowly bled out. I, I my, my heart rate didn't go up or down during the game. It was just like this steady, slow, like, it felt like, remember that scene in the movie 300 when they're like slowly pushing the Persian army off the cliff? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just felt like the 40, it felt like the 49 was just slowly pushing her towards the cliff. And like, we, we were like kind of trying to fight back, but we really couldn't. We just got slowly pushed off the cliff, and that's just you know the, before you knew it, like a game that felt like we were in it, and you blink your eyes and you're down by three scores, and I feel like that's yep. how it went. Um, yeah, it's frustrating. It's frustrating because you know it's it's hard to watch your team look so helpless. Uh, is is the feeling I guess when you're watching them out there, and and you know in, in a game that you think you should have a shot at, but you know this is what I talked about like when we were having these discussions this whole week on Twitter and. And in spaces about like strategy for the game, I made it a strong point to say my belief was if we try to go toe to toe and play this sort of back and forth game with the 49ers, we were just going to get slowly bled out. I think I use those words. They're going to slowly bleed us out. They're going to kill us. Um, over, and we won't have a shot. And, I, you know, that's what happened. What I, what I was kind of advocating for was, you know, when you're facing an opponent this much better than you on paper, like clearly their roster is just infinitely yeah. better than the Giants. They're much They're better team than the Giants. They're, they are Super Bowl contenders. And we're pretty far from that. And that's something we have to start talking about. But um, yeah. but when you're facing a team like that, you, you can't play a standard game and expect to win. They're just going to be that much better than you. You need something unique and quirky to happen to 
to give yourself a shot to win a game like that. And so on offense, to me, that was, even if things are not perfect, you've got to dial up some deep shots and just sling it and take chances. Look, if it, if it ends up resulting in a, in a pick, it ends up resulting in a pick, but you go down swinging. And who knows, like maybe in today's NFL, you get a pass interference penalty. I mean, we saw one yep. today, right, on, on a Waller pass deep. Um, we just didn't see much of it, unfortunately. I think it was Waller. Uh, might have been no, Slayton. Yeah. I can't remember. No, it was uh, Waller, but, I believe. Yeah. I mean, so I just expected more shots to try to, like, produce more explosive pass plays and get some touchdowns on the board. And we just, they didn't do it. I don't know why they didn't do it. I mean, I was, I was just watching the regular game feed. I didn't watch the next-gen stats feed. Mm-hmm. Um seemed like there were times when the offensive line wasn't great, but for the most part, it looked like it held up good enough. Yeah, to hope play, to... facing the 49ers. Right. I mean, you don't expect it to look that much better than that, you know, um, against the Niners, and you should be game planning for that and having, you know, well, they, a, they did. a plan. Right, and a plan to, like, counter it. But So it wasn't terrible amounts of pressure. I mean, it was a good, it was a good amount of pressure, but it didn't feel like it was an overwhelming part of the game. I mean, I guess we'll get the data on this later, and Maybe I'm wrong. But it was a very vanilla dink and dunk offense. Daniel Jones finished, I think, with in 32 passes with 137 yards or something like that. You know, four, barely over four yards of, you know, an attempt. I mean, it, it's not to just, like, put blame at his feet for, for the way the offense played. But, you know, it, it, well, that's what the offense did. Regarding Jones, I mean, you know how I felt about this from the get-go. It was not a... I was definitely in the camp of do not pay this man and bring him back, just rebuild um, and move on, not because he's bad or anything like that, but just because you're not in a position as a roster and as a team to commit to a guy like this when you have so much work to do and he needs so much help. Um, And I think we're seeing that. I guess I don't really get too upset about Jones at this point because like what you said, is like you're waiting for him to elevate like he did in Arizona, I guess, right? That he definitely elevated in Arizona in the second half. Um, And to that, I'll say like, I'm not going to get mad at him for playing his game. Like I'm being mad at Daniel Jones for being Daniel Jones is like being mad at like the you know the sun for coming up in the east. It's just these are regular occurrences with him. He's a very conservative quarterback most of the time. He doesn't necessarily take a ton of deep shots. He doesn't he doesn't throw the ball into zone and take a lot of hole shots. We saw like none of that today for the most part. Um, he feels a little bit. He looks like he's unsteady playing in those situations mm-hmm. and for him to come for him to do well in that scenario he needs a ton of help like he needs a really good offensive line and today he actually got a decent amount, a decent amount of help on the o-line better than i think we expected um and he needs like these incredible weapons but like he has you know he has good weapons he has jill and i he has Darren waller he had wanda robinson who made an impact it's just it is what it is i mean that's what the offense is um they didn't take a lot of shots on offense, and on defense, I expected them to. Well, I didn't expect them, but I was hoping that they could get you know pressure and turn the ball over because I thought we needed it. Now we had a shot at a turnover early, when um, on the Forty Nineers' first drive, Brock Purdy was awful, and he threw two interception-worthy passes, uh, um, to my count. And the one on the last third down before the field goal, he just threw up a duck into the end zone and. And Deontay Banks broke on the ball and was right. I mean, he had it. He mm-hmm. just mis- I don't know if he just mistimed his jump or what he did, but that was an interception. And, you know, and they Kittle got, they broke got their... up that one. Um, mm-hmm. that McKinney could have had. Right. Kittle broke that one up, but this one, Deontay Banks just had to go yeah, right through no, his arms. He went right through his hand. Yeah. And, he, yeah. And he, he didn't have, if you remember the knock on him at Maryland, was he just, he didn't have ball skills. Yeah, he hadn't had and, 
Yeah, so that you should so things like that, right? Like little moments like that where you could prevent three points, move momentum, little things like that add up in a game like this. But you know, at the end of the day, the better team with the better roster just slowly beat up on the the lesser team, and I think we're going to see a lot of that this year. Unfortunately, we're not able to hang with the big boys. Yeah. So, so I have a few thoughts and kind of what you touched on there. I'll I'll kind of go backwards here. So, with as far as Daniel Jones, I mean, I think you're you're on point where. You know, we're waiting for the point where he can kind of do this against the better teams. But as of right now, he can still prove us wrong. But the truth of it is that once we have an offensive line and weapons that are better than the teams we're going against, then we're gonna, it's going to look a lot like this. And we have that versus a team like Arizona. And that's why he looks the way he does. He can really elevate when he has mm-hmm. a equal to not even better but equal level and but finding that against the top of the league is very hard to do and maybe he can step there but i mean he's he will it's not to blame it necessarily on jones but it's just like if you as of right now if you want to stick with if you want to compete with the big boys in this league you either need to build everything up around it so you know he has equal competition basically across the board or Eventually, you got to upgrade the quarterback, but I mean, maybe, maybe he'll impress us. Things will change. I don't know, but I'm, well, I'm not, I'm not mad at Daniel Jones at all. It's just what I've seen. Yeah, it, it is what it is with him. You know, yeah. I think that's, that's that's the way I look at it. And then, um, go ahead. What are your other thoughts? So the other two, one, I was saying like for the offensive line holding up. I mean, it held up. It, but something to keep in mind is like we didn't have a lot of like receivers necessarily out there all the time because the, we always yeah. had two guys on Bosa. We always had a tight yeah. At one point, we had Neil, we had Bellinger, and we had Brita all on Bosa on one play. Yeah. We, we triple-teamed right. him because the, we, we – and he still was playing well. We were double and triple-teaming him, and he, and he didn't have the impact that he could have had, but he had an impact in a different way. So although our offensive line held up, it was at a cost. Um, the one last thing I wanted to say, and it was with two of the explosive plays and taking shots, is I'm disappointed with Jail- what we did with Jalen Hyatt in this game um, from a coaching and a QB aspect where I, when he, he wasn't out there enough, first of all. And when he was out there, I saw him lined out wide without any motions to get him a free release or anything that's straight up lined out wide. And that's not where he is at this point. And he's such a good weapon. Just lining him out wide and telling him like make a play isn't utilizing him to his ability at this point in his career. He need he needs to be like a starter in the slot or at least a split time with Wandale or something. Cause if he's just, you don't even have to motion him. If he's in the slot, he'll get his free releases. And every single time I saw him line up in the slot, I watch him. I'm like, yep, you can make that pass. You can make that pass. You can make that pass. It's not necessarily like always the best throw, but I'm like, uh-huh. you, you have a shot on that one because he, he's so fast. And this, the one other thing I wanted to say on this with to the Daniel Jones aspect a little bit with this is that this is why. I didn't want Jalen Hyatt in the first round, although I put a first round grade on him. You know that I was big on Jalen Hyatt. I thought he was a you first round. Early. Yeah. I thought he was a first <laughs> round wide receiver. But yeah. I was like, if you're gonna take him, I don't want him to be here. 
because you need a quarterback who's going to take advantage of him. And I saw twice, at least from my, I haven't gone back and watched the all 22. I saw twice that he ran wide open and Daniel Jones didn't take the shot. And we just don't have the type of quarterback that's going to take advantage of that when they see it. And it's only going to be a couple times a game. But when that happens, you have to, to take that shot, especially against a team like the 49ers. When you get that opportunity from a team that keeps everything in front of them, you have to take that shot when it opens. You have to see it, and you have to take it. Right. Well, I think that's what – I mean, you heard me this whole week. I was kind of banging that drum that, like, from a from an offensive play-calling standpoint and design, like, you know, strategy, it had to be take the shot, take the shot. Like, you don't have a lot of options, and not, there's not a lot of pathways to victory against – a team like the 49ers, that narrow pathway involves taking the shot when you can, as much as you can, and not being afraid of turnovers. Again, I don't know if this was a play design issue um, or a strategy going into the game or whether it was Jones, you know, or whether it was the line, whatever. Like, at some point, you're like, I don't know. You get to the point where you're like, I don't care. I don't care which which individual component or multiple components of that formula were the reason we couldn't accomplish a fairly obvious mission. What I care about is how are you going to fix it, you know, and, and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how do you get there? And obviously the ingredients and the individual parts matter to assess it. Um, The reality is with Jones, again, it's it's not hate or anything. He hasn't been that quarterback since his rookie year. Yeah, I mean, it's, that was four years ago. You know, people point back to it. I'm like, it was like pre-pandemic. <laughs> you know, like the world was different when he was that quarterback that would take those deep shots as a rookie. Um, and you can say all you want, hey, it's Jason Garrett's fault. It's Joe Judge's fault. That that may be true. But what we've got is what we've got. And he's a guy who is just not, he's just not somebody who slings it and takes a lot of chances. He doesn't want to put the ball in harm's way, which I guess is... You know, it's admirable to an extent, but, you know, not putting the ball in harm's way is not a winning formula against the better teams. And fundamentally, I think that's why we don't beat the better teams. You know, ultimately, when they're better than you, as you said, you have to do things to bend the curve and bring them back down to your level so you have a shot to compete. And part of that is taking shots and, and being really aggressive at every opportunity. If you just play a conservative game against a team that's better than you, they're just going to slowly beat you down. And that's that's what we see in, against these good defenses. You know, like that's what they do. Um, regarding like creating like this, you know, perfect environment around him. I mean, that's possible but it's hard when you're paying him and he's accounting for this yep. increasing amount of your cap right we so, didn't have dave gettleman when he was a rookie then maybe we could have done it but right i like put it this way i think if, if this was a year two truly year two of daniel jones on his rookie deal and you're assembling this you feel good and he, you feel good, like, hey, he's making progress, we're putting it together, we're just, we're going to teach him how to, like, read the deeper shots as we improve a little bit of the supporting staff around him, and we have plenty of money, and we have time to do this. It's a little different when it's year five, and you've already invested a huge amount of capital into him, 
where now it's actually so much money building up and going into the next year that it, it is going to impede your ability to build a roster around him. No doubt about it. I mean, second contract mm-hmm. quarterbacks get so much money. I don't care if you're ranking second, fifth, 10, 12, who cares Like on the quarterback list. It is so much money as a percentage of the team salary cap that it is going to harm the team's ability to build around you. So something's got to give, right? Either you have to lower your cap hit somehow or you have to play at a level that it makes up for the players you can't get because of your cap hit. And that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a road we're heading to very quickly. And you know what's the issue with that is the way to lower his cap hit is restructuring him. And if he's not playing to the level sure. that they don't, they feel confident they, they want to move on after two years, then they are not going to restructure him. If they want to restructure him, if they feel good and he's the quarterback, they will restructure him. And they want to restructure him this offseason. But yeah. he he has a long way to go to prove that. He, I mean, he had a great half at Cardinals. We need more. Yeah, I think a lot of us felt like. If he's playing on the cap, what does he have? Like a $49 million cap at next year or something like that? Yeah, I um, think so. 47, 49 million. We've all felt like if he's actually playing on that cap hit next year, it means he had a really bad season in 2023. And like they Leonard, don't. Yeah, like Leonard Williams. Williams. Like, yeah. we'll just eat this, right? And they, mm-hmm. you know, if that's how the season goes, that's probably what they'll do. They'll just, they're just going to eat it and they're going to eat the $22 million and, um, you know, in dead cap in the years after that and they'll move on um but you know he it's it's week three you want to see him he has 13, 14 weeks left to go in the season you want to see him become the guy that they invested in certainly the book is not written on the season yeah um he has a chance to still win some football games and put the team in a position to compete for a playoff spot um and i don't think tonight's loss dramatically alters any of that right i don't think this was a, a win that anybody had notched up anybody's saying at least had like not just as a win, you still have a chance to go into the next game against Seattle. You know it's coming up, um, and that's a real crucial game. Yeah. And if you win that, you're at home. It's Monday night. They have eleven days off. Mm-hmm. If you go into that game, you get a little healthier. Hopefully, hopefully you get Andrew Thomas back at the very minimum. Maybe Ben Bredesen and Aziz. And, right. You get the reinforcements back, right? Of what's beginning to look like a line that's not horrendous, right? It's beginning mm-hmm. to start. It's starting to gel a little bit. If you can get a decent line and you get some of these players back, that's a pick 'em game. That's a that's probably a tight, tight like down to the final possession kind of football game. The way it's shaping out, at least on paper, it should be. Yeah. And that that game very well may decide who goes to the playoffs. You know, those are two teams that you expect to be battling for like the back end of the playoffs and the six, seven seeds, the Giants and the Seahawks. And, you know, it's a game that can decide their fate. If they win that game, they're in business. They really are two and two. You've given yourself a fighter's chance to, you know, get through the first half of the season with potentially a winning record or close to a winning record, you know, know, at least like a 500 type record. Um, At least you give yourself that chance. Uh, the schedule may not prove to be favorable, but you give yourself a chance. But if you lose against Seattle at home week four and you drop to one and three, and then you're going on the road against Miami week five, which is going to be a horrendous matchup for our team. Mm-hmm. And then and then Buffalo Monday night in Buffalo week six. That is a rough stretch. And you could easily see this thing spiraling downward very quickly. 
this is a big game coming up. They really need to win this game. And if they lose this game, I do think some of the questions we're talking about a little bit more, maybe a little bit more loosely about like what could happen, that becomes a more crystallized conversation we have to start having about the roster. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think that, that's where we are. But like I'll, I said this on the space, and I'll, I think my, my fundamental, fi- not my final, but my main view on this is if you were viewing the Giants through the proper lens of the roster that it should be and is rebuilding and is just nowhere near ready to compete with the best teams. Losses like tonight, even the loss to Dallas, they don't bother you that much because you're looking at the roster saying it's a young roster. It's developing. This is going to take time. We're finding our identity. I think where it gets tricky um, is like what, with the general manager himself sort of framed as the, as the goal, right? Where he said something that Dave Gettleman said, you know, surprisingly, which is we're going we're gonna to compete while we rebuild, right? Mm-hmm. And, and fa- fans love that catchphrase. They love hearing that stuff. Like, you can say what you want, but they, they love it. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're going to compete while we rebuild. And it's something I always push back on. It always gives me a little pause, and I'm like, wait a minute. The two are fundamentally different goals. They are really yeah. fundamentally different goals. And they and that those fundamentally different goals, they come with fundamentally different decisions to be made, given various you know junctures that you have to come to as an organization. Like, do you pay a quarterback? Do you pay a running back? Who do you draft in the first round? What do you do with your draft picks? Do you trade up? Do you trade down? Do you try to get more picks? Do you do you do you move picks or veterans? Do you pay veterans? You know, like there's all like there's a lot of decisions that come with that mentality and we're competing. Versus rebuilding, and when you try to toe the line of both, you're going to find yourself with an incomplete roster, more likely than not. And, and unfortunately, I feel like we're heading in that direction. That like there'll be some things that we do very well, but we're going to find that maybe the decisions we made to try to compete while rebuilding cost us on in you know in terms of draft capital and, and salary cap allocation that should have been and could have been used to actually bolster our roster with better talent for the future. And I think we're going to find that we're going to have to grapple with that process, you know, and look, they made their choice. They're down this road. I certainly don't think we're competing with anybody. We've played two contenders and gotten our you know doors blown off both times. So we're not a competitive team in a realistic way. I don't think we're even a competitor in the division at this point. We're just, I think, fighting to try to get back to like a 500 level team that might fight for a playoff spot. But if it goes well, we can see it through. If it doesn't go well, and they're staring down the barrel of a losing season, I think they have to start making some roster decisions, Monty. Like, real hard roster choices about what you do with some of the veterans on this team. And what do you actually value? Do you value some of these guys being here for like a half a season? Or maybe consider bringing an older player back for another year? Or... You know, just so you can be a little bit more competitive for the last eight games of a season where you're not likely doing anything, or would you trade those players? You know, like the, the time yeah. is going to come. If they, if they don't win that Seattle game, that's going to be the discussion for the next five weeks. Like, are we trading 100%. these players away? And it should be. Yeah. So Anyways, yeah, so I have two two things to say on that. So to defend Joe Shane a little bit on the def- rebuilding while contending, because I didn't like that phrase either, but. If you look at what he did, and I think this year is different because I think after they made the playoffs, like right or wrong, I don't think they're necessarily rebuilding while they're contending. They're running it back and trying to to build on last year. But the year before is where he said that. And I 
think that he did do it the right way where they made the playoffs, but they, but they made the playoffs. Well, they cut a guy like Ro- Logan Ryan who saved them like a million dollars in cap and played a younger guy in Julian love. And, what? and they, they could have kept him because he was an older guy and they didn't save much, but they took the little bit of cap savings they got and played the younger guy. They, um, they, everyone was clamoring them for them to trade for a wide receiver and give up draft assets. And, you know, they looked into it, but, you know, ultimately they thought the cost was too high and they traded away a wide receiver. They traded away Kadarius Tony, who they didn't feel was a fit for this team who could have came back and helped this team went out and found Isaiah Hodgins. So I do think last year, you know, they did compete. They made the playoffs, but they didn't, but they rebuilt that every move they made was a rebuild move last year. It was a different change in philosophy this year, but he also wasn't coming out this year saying we're rebuilding while we're competing. So I'll give him a little bit of credit there. Okay. Um, but to, uh, to the selling aspect. Yeah, man. I mean, the one caveat I'll throw in there is, you know, things go poorly. Um, they definitely will consider being sellers because the way we look at it, I mean, they have the Miami Dolphins, they have uh, Buffalo Bills, and that's after Seattle. If they win or lose, we'll see what happens. Like you said, it's pivotal. Um, Jets and Washington are both winnable games, so we'll see what happens with those. But um, they're not, not, not certainly not guarantees if you if you have a losing streak like that. Um, but we'll see, man. I think one thing to consider with that in Joe Shane will consider, and I'm sure he'll be smart about this. I never trusted Dave Gettleman to to think this one through, but is the supplemental draft pick aspect of it. And you can go ahead and keep these guys. You don't think you're getting enough and let them walk if you feel like you're getting it. But then you are strapped what you can do in free agency because you you, if you sign guys, it counteracts. You can still sign guys, but you can only do guys that have got released by team because they count, don't count towards the cap formula. So it's you definitely prefer to trade these guys. Like, oh, this guy might bring back a third round comp. A comp. Well, I could get a fourth round pick and know I'm getting it. And it's like probably going to be like a 15 pick difference. So let me get the tape guaranteed pick. There's, you know, that's a conversation to be had, but it's definitely part of the equation with this for sure. It is, um, and I guess that I think you worry more about losing picks if you think you're going to be a buyer in free agency. Yeah, and I think that also goes to like, what is your view? You, I mean, that's my point. Like, you have to sort of start crystallizing your view of where the roster is and the likely trajectory going into 2024 by like the midway point of this season. And I know that's hard to do, but if you're going to make decisions and you're going to try to like navigate this field, you have to decide, am I really trying, am I, if I'm competing, if my goal is I'm truly competing. And I think that by 2024, I can put together a much cleaner roster to compete for the division, to compete for the, the conference or in a Super Bowl run. You're not trading people, right? You're, yeah. you're probably resigning them, if anything. You're trying them out to see who you want to bring back, and you know, and you're going to try to like give they them did money. last year, exactly. And and they may do that, right? Like they, like I said, they they may find themselves in the middle of like an eight nine win season. Like it's, they're only one and two. It's not like the season's over. No. Um, they can they can easily go on Just a win a tough streak. schedule. It's it's a hard schedule, but they can find themselves like putting it together and winning, and like that. That's why like we have to see it play out. If they do. Hmm. I think they'll they'll probably feel strongly, especially if the reason they do is like they're younger players that they've invested in, they're young veterans. Like those guys are coming through if they feel like, okay, we've got the good we've got a foundation that's really sturdy here. Now we can build around it properly. 
I do think there'll be buyers and they'll try to build a real contender around it. But if you're having a bad season this year, going into like the trade deadline, the buy week, that part of the season, the midway point, and you're not winning games, the, the likely reason you're not winning games is because you have foundational pieces that are not functioning properly, right? It's not, you know, people like to say the, the role players are the reason that a team may not be a competitor when they ignore the fact that foundational pieces are probably the main driver of success in those in those games. It's not like the role players. So if you're not being competitive against a good schedule and you're finding yourself losing a ton of games, you do have to start asking yourself, are my foundational pieces correct? Right? Mm-hmm. Do I have the right guys at the helm? And that means everybody. It's not just quarterbacks, quarterback, running back, defensive players. Especially you know, everybody. from the head down. Well, everything from the top. Yeah. You know, and, and, you, and then that may affect the way you decide to handle comp picks. Right? Like, if you know you're not a buyer, you may just say, you're, you know, I'm, I'm not paying free agents this year anyway, so you're worth a, I think you're worth a fourth-round comp. I'm not going to trade you for a six-round pick. You know, I'll just take the comp. So that's that's the kind of decision making that may go into it. Of course, this is sort of a morbid conversation, but it's yeah. one that it's one that kicks off if you lose next week. Yeah, and because then you know then what we're then the lesson we're getting is we're not we're really not competing for much at all. So there's a lot going into this. I think uh, tonight doesn't move the needle too too much, but what it did show me is we're not we're really not able to do anything to compete against the top teams. Like nothing. So yeah. You can just kind of cross them off the list for now. Yep. So we're approaching on 30 minutes here, but okay. I know we didn't touch too much on the defense. Do you have any wrap-up thoughts that you had on the defense tonight? I mean, you mentioned the big stuff. I think mm-hmm. we did a pretty good job of getting them into third downs. You know, like one of the mm-hmm. goals of a defense is get the team on offense into third down and specifically into third and long, like third and five, yep. third and six and greater. We did that several times. So we were really good on first and second down. Really good. I guess we were getting gashed for a lot of run yardage, um, which actually got worse as the game went along. But in a lot of drives, we were doing okay against the run. Micah McFadden looked like a man possessed. He was tackling everybody to his credit. You know, yep. he, he was, he was the best player on the field for the, for us today. No doubt. Um, but then we gave up these monstrous third longs, and they were. It felt like I don't know what you, what, what you felt, but it felt like they were all bubble screens, like one yeah. after another after another, and they were just. And they were, and they were just storming down the sideline, getting twenty, thirty yards a clip on third and long, and it was very frustrating. Um, pass rush, still, you know, they got a little. I think Kayvon got a sack. It was, it was a coverage sack, but I thought he got good pressure Leo on the got play. A sack. Leo got a sack. I think that the defensive line played better. We got sacks. I, we got mm-hmm. some sacks, but. They weren't getting home enough, which I think is, yeah. you know, that's part of that is also you have to give credit to Brock Purdy and the Niners. They were getting the ball out very quickly. I think mm-hmm. I haven't seen the next gen stat numbers, but I'm willing to bet that he was getting the ball out in like 2.4 seconds or something very quick to yeah. five seconds. You know, so th- there's part of that is that. But, you know, Wink Martindale was bringing a ton of blitzes, ton of blitzes, and there was always somebody open. And Purdy yep. was beating the blitz and just, you know, getting them open. At some point, I feel like you need to trust your guys to get pressure without the blitz. You really do. And I know that's his game. He likes to blitz. But like, if you're getting torched all game by the quarterback picking up your blitz and just picking up a hot read, right, and, and, or just throwing the ball short over the middle, and then the, the receiver's just, just destroying you with yak like Debo Samuel was for, uh, was for them, like, you have to adapt to that. And 
I'm a little frustrated by the lack of adaptation in game from our defense. They're just mm-hmm. not, there's something not clicking. But I will say this to be consistent to, with what I said before the season, I felt very strongly that, um, and I made this point many times, that Joe Shane chose the last two years to invest very heavily in the offense. He invested uh, the number seven overall pick last year to offense, the second round pick to offense. One of the third, one of the two third round picks to offense. In fact, the first of the two third round picks to offense last year. He paid Daniel Jones and Saquon Barkley a huge sum of money to bring them back. He, you know, and then we and our second and third round picks this year were offense, right? Our John Michael Schmitz and Joe and I. The majority of our assets and capital have gone to offense. Wink Martindale has gotten a disproportionately small amount of resources put his way. To develop his defense, he did get Kayvon Thibodeau, and he did get Deontay backs, and they did pay Bobby O'Carrigan. But that's kind of it. Like everybody else was just like a, a filler, vet minimum kind of player, yeah. and top and they, but not depth. Right, and I I do think that this defense is some ways away. You just, it just they just need more players. I think I think this is the makings of a very good defense. But you need more players. You need guys to be healthy. This is going to require draft picks, you know, flooding the defensive side and helping Wink Martindale or who, whoever is here. We need more depth and better players. But that's why I kept saying all season that our fate is really tied to the offense. Joe Shane put his resources in the offense. And when, yeah. when, the, when the defense is not getting the resources, when the offense is paying Jones and you're paying Barkley and you're paying Darren Waller and you trade assets for Waller in addition to paying him and all the stuff we did, right? Expect the offense to put up points. Like they're supposed to be carrying the defense. It's not the other way around. So it's frustrating to watch our defense do certain things. But at the end of the day, again, I look at this team and I say it's, it was constructed for the offense to carry the defense or to make up gap. And we're not doing that, right? We showed up in San Francisco and our offense did basically nothing. So, yep. I mean, that, I think that's the problem with our defense, honestly, is that it didn't get the resources the offense did and the offense is not pulling its weight. Yep. Yeah. I I mean, I have pretty similar comments as you. We didn't execute on third down. Um, you know, getting to third down is more sustainable than just being good on third down. So that's a plus. The opposite of last year, that's what a lot of us felt nervous about, is we were very good on third down last year and didn't get the third down a lot. And that was kind it's of unsustainable. It's yeah. the opposite now. Um, our tackling was horrendous. Um, oh, even God. even Michael, Micah McFadden, who I really liked. Like I said, like week one, I thought Micah McFadden did really we did well week two he did terrible and this week he did great but i'll say sometimes when he was making those tackles i was like Ugh. like he has like that one tackle guy he had one hand on and just ripped the jersey i'm like yikes these are like if barely tackles the wet the wedgie tackle like yeah <laughs> like exactly. the jersey i think i forgot who it was but like the jersey knocked him. i think it was mitchell like the jersey knocked him over when he got like the backlash on the, on the jersey like yeah. knocked him down yeah i know he we, we have bad we have very bad tackling and yeah. there, there's some fundamental issues. There's some fundamental things about the defense that are just like poor, like poor, mm-hmm. poor run lanes, poor tackling. Just, I hate to say it. It doesn't look well coached. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, oh. I think, I think a lot of, we can go into a lot. We won't go too much into it, but I think a lot of it, you can look back to with this whole team was how light of a training camp we ran, which obviously would goes into, analytics and us trying to keep this team healthy and like you know sports like sports science but i think it did have a negative impact on how ready this team was going into yeah. the year so but, yeah. um yeah the only other thing i really had was um deontay banks going out the half we he never end. came back right 
you know, never came back. Um, it was an arm injury, so hopefully he's okay. You know, fingers crossed. Um, yeah. But, um, but then that forced Darnay Holmes in this game. That guy stinks. That guy's he's, garbage. You can't. Dar, Darnay Holmes and O'Shane Jimenez are as they're as reliable as death and taxes. Like they will make their way onto the field for the Giants somehow, some way. They'll show up on the field. I, it's unbelievable. I re- I regret defending him coming back at a minimum deal because it's like <laughs> elite. You know, other cornerbacks can be I bad. Tr- I, I tried to warn you. <laughs> yeah, this, this is the difference. There might be other cornerbacks who are bad, maybe even worse than Darnay Holmes, but they won't get a holding call every fucking time he's on the field. Well, that's I'm what sorry he does, if I just though. blew up your headphones, guys. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what he does though. Like he holds, he gets beat. Almost immediately off the off the release, and he holds like he does this like every play. He only gets flagged for it some of the time. Um, yeah, and, and that's a problem. Like if Deontay Banks is hurt and he's gonna miss time, we'll find out. Hopefully, it's something. But man, like, are you gonna run Darnay Holmes out there? Obviously, he's ahead of Cordell Flott on the depth chart because he's out there. Uh, Cordell Flott was the was he was, a, was he a healthy scratch or was he hurt? I feel like he was hurt. I was he remember. hurt? I don't remember. I feel like I saw him on the injury report, but I don't know. either way, he was inactive. Darnay Holmes, Cordell Flott, right? Yeah. That's kind of like, <laughs> At least whatever. Flott. Yeah, exactly. So whatever. Um, we, yeah, we, we, Aaron Robinson has busted knee back. I think you know. Well, I I would close this out by saying there's a lot still. To, it's kind of hard, like the night of the game. I love I love doing these recaps. Uh, sometimes it's hard to process everything right away yeah. and you start thinking about all sorts. I, I personally start thinking about like all the games leading in, like all the games going out and, and it's harder to focus on what happened. I wanted to say a couple of things that very quickly because I just remembered them. Yep. And this is something our friend authentic always says, and he brings it up whenever we have a bad game. We threw the ball 33 times in this game. We rushed the ball 11 times total 11 that includes Daniel Jones' runs, 11. So, first of all, we only had 44 plays, which is kind of pathetic. But from those 44 plays, only, you know, a, thir- a quarter of them were were running the ball. And I get it, Saquon Barkley's not here, but if you're going to abandon the run, we're not a team that's good enough to abandon the run to that degree mm-hmm. and expect success. We're, we're, like, it's... I don't know what we're, we're thinking. Like we don't have the passing offense. We we don't have the quarterback. We don't have the whatever. Right? It it doesn't work. Like whenever we follow this formula, where we're saying Daniel Jones just keep dropping back and keep trying to throw the ball, we lose games, and it doesn't look pretty. Our best offense usually is a much more balanced offense. You know, and maybe that's not I you know, it's not what everybody wants. They want to see the ball thrown down the field. I certainly do, but. You have to, you can't just abandon the run game. And we did it mm-hmm. again. We did it in Dallas. We did it in Philadelphia when we lost that horrific game. And we're doing it now. And I think we give up on the run way too easily. Like we get behind a team and we abandon the run. And that's just not the way to play. Like you gotta, you have to keep running the rock, even when you're down by a score. Even if you're down by 10 points, you gotta run the rock and get control of the game and at least gives the other team something to think about so your your passing game has a chance and we see this week after week we when we're losing these games we just give up on the run i think that's something that is going to be worthy of a conversation going forward yep yep i i agree with you and i'll say i mean 
you heard Kyle Shanahan before the game, and I don't know if you saw there is I forgot which player was talking about, but there's a 49er player talking about it after the game today. And their mission was to stop Jones from running it. That was the thing that they were afraid of was that Jones is very good with the leg, and that's what beat them in the past. I mean, Mariota beat him, Fields beat him, and we didn't get we didn't make enough of an effort to make uh Jones legs uh threat to them. And yeah. I know that they played really well against it. Their linebackers closed fast, but that needed to be something that we had to beat them with and we didn't. And that's and I, I said it to you before was that I think that the way that Jones is best is when he's moving. When he's on yeah. the move is when we see Jones the best and that's when he's most confident. That's when defenses are most honest with them and it wasn't that and we didn't see good Jones. I don't think up, that's the price. It opens up passing lanes for him. I mean, I think yep. just tr- like the t- teams start coming towards him. He starts moving, and if he's running the ball effectively, and he's picking up seven, eight, ten yards a clip on these runs, which he's fully capable of when he runs the ball. Teams have to start playing him in a different way, and it opens up passing wins for him. And if you do- and- if you just give up on that, he he will not get those passing wins. He doesn't function well without that. And it keeps us getting first downs, which is also big. But yeah, um, so anyway, a lot to go over. But do you want to get into our next position group? What are we, 40 minutes in or so? Yeah, <laughs> so, we're 40 minutes in, so we should get into it. Okay. Um, so we're going to start with our fourth uh, our fourth position group. So far, we've done wide receivers. Um, we have done edge rushers. We've done interior defensive linemen. Um and we're on the fourth group, and we've been trying to do these groups as according to what we think are kind of relevant draft positions for the Giants. So our fourth group is one that a lot of people are interested in, which is interior offensive line. So um, we picked, you know, the usual protocol. We picked five guys that we ranked as our top five using various sources. Um, you know, we, we use resources from PFF, from The Athletic, um, a lot of film review online, whatever we can get our hands on. We look at stuff ourselves and we, we come up with our five in order. So uh, we have five. We don't have two sleepers this week. We only have one, but it's a fun one. Mm. Um, so why don't you kick us off? Actually, no, I'm kicking you off. I'm sorry. I'm going to do the first one. So number one on our list um, for our buddy Shane, this is for you, Zach Zinter. Um, as you can see, he's a, he is a right guard from Michigan, 6'6", 320 pounds. He is in his fourth year. And we're going to try to tell you what year they're in with all the COVID stuff that gets confusing. This is his fourth year of play. He was a preseason All-American this year. He was a three-star prospect, three-star prospect coming out of Massachusetts. Uh, he was a track and field shot put champion, uh, obviously a very athletic guy. Uh, four years under Sharon Moore, their O-line coach slash offensive coordinator. Like I think he's... Um, co-offensive coordinator um his stats are very impressive in his entire tenure there he's only allowed three total sacks eight total hits 20 total hurries 31 total pressures and has taken eight penalties and that's in over 2,000 snaps at right guard so like those those are pretty paltry numbers for over 2,000 snaps at right guard uh, pretty even distribution of run and pass blocking of almost 50-50 at Michigan. If you watch their games, they're, they're a very balanced offense. Um, and he's had solid PFF run grades, pass grades in the in the high 70s. Um, and, you know, the, he's just a good player. You're watching him here on, you know, on the screen. He's your right guard right there. And he's just a big block of a human being. Why don't you tell us more about him? 
Sure. So, yeah, number 65 here, if you're watching on YouTube, we have the All-22 versus uh, Penn State. So if you're listening, feel free to come over and check it out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and he's, for the record, is off to a good start this year. He has an 87.9 pass block grade so far in 2023. But he is a very good player. I'm a big fan of this guy. And, you know, definitely I'm happy with him here at one. And he's actually uh, Brugler's top guard. He's number 41 total with them. So he sees them as like a early second guy right now, which is, you know, pretty typical for interior offensive line. But I, I really like this guy. I mean, I think the main thing that you would take away from him is he's a mauler. When he plays, yeah. he's like a total, total bruiser, throw you out of the club type guy. Um, there's one play you'll see during this one where he goes up against Chop Robinson and he just tosses him to the side and then goes up against the nose guard and then tosses him to the side. Um, <laughs> that that that's on our uh, Twitter page as well, so you can find that there. Uh, but he's he's really he's a really good player. I I think he mirrors really well in the. Uh, and pass pass protection um he i see him constantly just burying people he plays to the whistle and i i see him sometimes play after the whistle plays yeah. out of bounds like he's definitely got a mean streak to him uh he's got a violent punch when you see him punch a guy you see them get stunned you see them get thrown off um let's see i i really like how he kind of works with his teammates he definitely like he he'll throw that violent punch pass him to the next guy and then go go help out with somebody else he's you know he's quick to to make an impact on a player and then move to the next guy to keep helping out and you know take a blitzer after he's already thrown thrown a thrown an arm on a guy he's really he's real cerebral when when he's playing but also very aggressive um the only kind of knock on him is I he could play a little bit lower. I see him play up like really high at times and maybe not the best technique, but it's not bad. And to me, you know, we'll we'll go through these guys, but he's kind of more of a mauler than like a killer to me, which is necessarily a bad thing. Sometimes the killers are just going to get you penalized out, out the ass. And um, but he's the not the, the, the Trevor Pennings of the world. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. He's, but he will. Uh, he, he doesn't necessarily bury them every single time he has a chance, and and like after the play or anything like that. But he, but he's definitely got a mean streak. Um, you know, there's only so much to say about these these offensive linemen. Do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I think that just to follow it up very quickly. At the end of the day, if you're looking for a guard here that is just going to be a really really sturdy anchor and pass protection and a technically very good run blocker who, who basically is, he, he's, he's a bully uh, is what he is. You know, like when you ask him to go up on somebody and, and, and actually push them down and, and create a, a lane, he's going to do that. Like he's, he's really balanced and he's solid with his punches and his footwork and he's strong as hell. And he just will get up on, on defenders and just toss them and create lanes. He's not super athletic in the sense that I don't expect him to be like a guy you're going to pull a lot. Um, mm -hmm. it's not necessarily his strength in terms of speed. I think he can climb to the next level pretty well. And you see that in a lot of these reps, but if you're going to ask him to do like a backside pull or something like that, I think that may be where he would struggle a little bit if there's anything to say mm -hmm. but for the most part, I think, you know, I think 
I like guards like him because they do the most important thing very well, which is they create a wall for their quarterback up the middle, and they don't allow tackles for loss. And I think that's essential, right? For an interior offensive lineman, you want somebody who's not going to let players get into the backfield. You want a clean wall. I mean, all the other stuff is is, is good to have, like the athleticism and stuff. But at the end of the day, you want somebody who can drop down anchor and just keep that wall solid. Um, and he does that very well. And he does it with a little, just enough of a mean streak where you like what you see on tape from him. But I think he's, I agree with Burglar. I think he's probably going to end up being the top guard taken, the top interior lineman taken potentially. Um, you know, top of the second kind of value. I can see him maybe creeping into the late first. Sometimes these guys do, but yeah. for the most part, I think he's in that like 30 to 50 range, right? Like late yep. first, early second. Yeah. I mean, ex Michigan guy, uh, was it Ruiz Caesar? When mm-hmm. he made it, he made it to the first round, but it doesn't happen very often with, no. with, I mean, you'll see it here and there, but, yep. um, right. but yeah, no, I agree with what you said. I'll say he doesn't have like elite anchor, but he has a very good anchor. I think it's because he plays high that can throw yeah. him off a little bit. He's, he's but tall. he has yeah. he has such a pow- he's six six. Yeah, he has such a powerful punch though that that kind of helps with it because it's hard for anybody to really just like come full speed and get up underneath them because he he will stun them with his hand almost every time. So yep yep. All, All right. right. I think that's so, a, that's a, that, that's number one. Um, probably good to move on to number two right now. I think you're going to handle him. Yep, so we're going to move on to number two right now. Let me just go ahead and pull up his tape. Okay, so we got our next guy is Cooper uh, BB or B-Bay or something like along those lines. BB. Uh, BB, yep, Cooper BB. Um, he is a guard out of Kansas State. So you just see him popped up on the screen there. Um, he's 6'4", 335, and you'll see this guy. He was a first-team All-American, and he was a three-star, actually, defensive tackle prospect coming into school, and he ended up getting moved over to the offensive line. In college, he was a basketball player, and he was also a shot-put guy. Um, so he's he's number 50 here. He's the left guard for uh, Kansas State, if you're watching. But um, he's played all over this offensive line for Kansas state. He's played a snap multiple snaps, like a pretty like significant snaps at every single spot, except for center for them. He's played 2,300 plus snaps at left guard alone. That's the, where, where it's most of it is come from. And then, uh, he is really like, so he's, this is his fifth year. He's played this is fifth year at Kansas state. And, He's played significant snaps, especially for the for the last three years, and he's been playing really well, really productive with like 80 plus PFF scores for the last three years. Um, in 2020, he actually let up zero sacks in that entire season. But to go over, you know, his kind of stats for his career, he's let up nine total hits throughout his career. Um and that was only two in 2022, 21 total hurries, only seven in 2022, 33 total pressures, only nine in 2022. And then um, he's only, and he's only had six total penalties throughout his career. And it was only one in 2022. And uh, it was actually only uh, three sacks. He's let up throughout his entire career. Uh, He, this again, the, 
the split is about 50-50. It was 52.5% run block for, to 47.5 pass block. He had an 80.5 PFF grade um, throughout his career, or no, last year. A 77.2 run block grade in 2022. And a 89.3 pass block grade in 2022. But um, I'll let you kind of give more details on this guy. Yeah, he's another one who I think falls into the Zinter kind of category of just like a rock solid guard, right? He's a, basically a true left guard. He's played some tackle. Um, I don't. I think he could play tackle in a pinch, um, but that's not a true position for him. I think his arm length is an issue there. I believe he has what thirty one and a half inch arms, uh, so I think that's going to hold him back from playing tackle at the NFL level, certainly. And I think he's sort of honed in at guard. But what you see about him is he has he plays a tremendous leverage, and I really like that in these interior offensive linemen. He, if you watch him rep after rep, he has this technique where he like he gets his hands underneath guys really quickly, gets under their chest plate, and he kind of lifts them up on a lot of reps. And he will just, you know, and once he gets his hands underneath you, he's got you lifted up. Like the rep is over. Like these guys, he's so strong, he's holding guys up, and he does all sorts of damage that way from the line. He can block down on guys. He can move them. He can climb. Um, but I think fundamentally that's his game. He has very good technique. He gets underneath guys, gets his strong hands on them, and he moves them away. Um, if there's a negative about his game, I think it does stem from his shorter arms. He has a tendency to lunge, I think, um, and it gets caught on tape. And I think that's true for a lot of these guys who have who have less length in their arms. They try to compensate by trying to get a you know to get a jump and lunge and you know and get ahead of the the rep a little bit. And good defenders may allow them to get off balance. Um, and that will cause you to lose balance. So that, that's a knock on him, and it's something he's going to have to work on. But I think it's less of an issue on the interior than something you would see like a tackle, right? Um, so overall, just a really solid player. I think you know he's the kind of guy, he's a plug-and-play left guard. Put him in, he'll be very solid. He's a, he excels in pass protection. And I think, you know, he's the kind of guy that I think you can just, and he's very good in run protection too, but I think in pass pro, that's where he really makes his money. Um, and I think we could use more of that on this team. So I think he's a good target for the Giants. I, I really think this is a guy who fits our who fits our system well. He's athletic enough to do a lot of different things, and he's just a really strong, good guard, and he can kind of do everything very, very well. A lot of reps. I'd be thrilled if we took him. Yeah. I'm a big fan of him. I think he's a really good all-around player, and he's been highly productive. I actually made a mistake there when I was reading my notes, much more impressive than what I thought. I don't know why I said, why I was thinking, why I would ever write that he let up zero sacks in 2020. No, that's not true. He actually let up three sacks in 2020. What's impressive is he hasn't let up a sack since, since 2021, right. 2022, and so far in 2023. Right. has not allowed a single sack. So he's he's yeah. been very impressive as a pass protector. Um I would say that's probably his strength as a player. He's mm-hmm. he's real he's really good at um you know constantly kind of just resetting his hands when when a defender gets, you know, a move on him and starts to beat him, he gets his hands back on them quickly and stays in front of them. Uh the, like I said, the, the short arms are obviously an issue, but he's been a very aggressive player, I think. All around, he is going to be a very solid player in in this league, and uh, I think he's not. I think he's a plug and play day yeah. one starter at guard. I, I I really like him. And he has experience. He's gonna have five full years of playing. Yeah. You know, mostly left guard. I think he's a guy who comes right in and plays. So he's a good target. I think he's also a, a day two pick on the in the draft. Whether he's a second round pick or, I think he's gonna have a second round grade on him at the end of the day. 
Um, but he may fall into the third. I think it's certainly possible, but certainly a day two player. I don't know where you, where you see him. Yeah, no, I'd say day two. And, you know, I'll say for the Giants connection to this, it seems like the Giants are uh, the current, you know, like front office is a big believer in the planet theory of just yeah. taking big guys. You've seen it with the defensive line. You saw it with Evan Neal, this guy at 335. I definitely think dude. he, he fits into that planet theory with them. And, uh, I mean, you could ar- also argue but with uh, Zach Zinter, 6, extra 20. Um, he's a little bit of a, you know, taller and a little bit more lean than those other guys. But, I mean, Grant, you could argument with Neil to there, too. Um, but uh, I think he's, he's, he's the guy who would fit in with what they're looking for. But, um, but yeah, no, I think, I think we nailed it with, with him. All right. Uh, let's move on to number three on our list. And this is a guy that I think we're both very excited about as a prospect yeah. that not only would potentially be in the range where we would consider, hope the Giants consider taking a player, but one that fits our what look like are going to be our needs to a T. Um, and that is Troy Fautenau. Fautenau. Troy Fautenau from Washington. He's uh, he's another fourth-year player, six foot four, 317 pounds. A real athlete. He was a four-star recruit, came out as a guard out of high school, but he also played high school volleyball. Um, he's taken over 1,300 snaps, mostly at left tackle. Um, he's definitely played some left guard as well, but he's mostly played left tackle at Washington. So the majority of those 1,300 snaps came on the outside. Um, if you guys watch a lot of Washington games, they're a very pass-heavy offense. So he actually has a – his snap breakdown is only 37% in – run blocking and 63% pass blocking. That's a function of the offense over there, the high-powered, highly productive offense with Michael Penix and Romeo Dunes and uh, McMillan and all the other guys. Um, Solid grades all around. Just a very, very well-rounded tackle guard prospect. Um, He plays the game very well. He has 34-inch arms. He has the measurables. He has the athleticism. He can play tackle. He projects maybe a little bit more as a guard, on you know, which a lot of these tackles do when he gets to the NFL level. I think that has to do with certain technique issues and oversetting and things like that. But fundamentally, he's held up well at tackle. I think he he's one of those guys who falls into the category of like, if you play him a tackle, he can probably play tackle, right? And he might be mm-hmm. a good one. But if you play him a guard he might be a better player there. So, but yeah. a versatile player. So, but what are your thoughts on him? Sure. So I'll go ahead and just, you know, hit on some of the, uh, the PFF numbers and other stats for him first. So he had a 77.9 um, PFF grade in 2022, a 74.9 run block grade and a 79.2 pass block grade. And he actually is at a 91.2 pass block grade throughout 2023 so far. So really good elite start for him there. Um, in addition, he's only allowed one sack throughout his career at Washington. Uh, it was in 2021, but he has not allowed a sack since then. He's only allowed two hits in his career at Washington. Um, those were both in 2022 and he's allowed, um, 19 hurries in his, in his career at Washington. It was mostly last year, 13 and 22 total pressures again, last year, mostly with 15. Um, that, you know, that last year was the year where he really was kind of the first time of a full-time starter. So it kind of makes sense, but you know, not crazy numbers there with, as far as, you know, you've heard him before he, he, he's held his own. Um, and then he had 
12 penalties so far in his career, eight of them last year. That is kind of high. That's a little bit worrisome for the eight penalties in, in a year. Um, but, you know, I think you nailed it where you kind of led into it. This is a guy we're both big fans of, and there's a reason for that where we think it's a good fit for the Giants is, you know, Sal and I have discussed this, and we think the best move for the Giants might be to go after a guy who could be a tackle or potentially a guard. One of these guys that's a tackle that's best seen to move inside. You you know, the high-end examples of that, you might think of a Peter Skaronsky, you might think of a Rashawn Slater, you may think of a Tristan Wirth. Obviously, it all worked out for these guys. We're not saying, I honestly really don't think this guy is going to be successful outside of the tackle, but who knows? He's a very high-end player, and the idea with this is between a Zudu, who had some tackle um, experience, Evan Neal, who we drafted to be a tackle, but also had guard experience. And between if we drafted this guy, it would give you a chance to, you know, have three guys who could kind of give you a shot at finding the best person for that right tackle position. And the following two could give you a shot at um, guard. But, you know, I I do really like him. Um, I think the biggest plus about this guy that I really like about him is if you watch him, um, he plays and he's left tackle here. He plays with such good pad level and he plays with a wide base and it naturally that results in him anchoring down so well. He does yep. not get shoved back because just because of how much leverage he plays with and how big he is. And I think that's where he would step in at guard really well because it because, um, you know, he his only issues that really run into are kind of exclusive to playing tackle. Uh, right. Do you want to go and go into those issues a little bit? I think the main ones, like I mentioned a little earlier, he oversets, yeah. right? Yeah. He, he, he oversets uh, to try to prevent the edge rush and he gets me to the inside a little bit and he doesn't have a good way to recover. Uh, when he's oversetting but you know that's I think that's a function of some functional athleticism you know in recovery which is just you know you'll run into that if you're oversetting as a tackle but as a guard there's yeah. just much less room to cover it's not as much of an issue you can anchor down and you can cheat more and and you're not going to let people get by you that easily right and mm-hmm. so I think his weakness is one that is easily corrected with a move to guard if you want to call it a weakness um, yeah. But but at the end of the day, I think what you said is spot on. Like, look, the Giants have allocated a major asset in Evan Neal, and right now, even though there's some signs of life in the how the way he's looked the last couple of games, like you know he's at least showing that he could look like a little bit more functional. You know, there's there's a decent chance that by the end of this year, he's not the right tackle answer, right? And we're hopeful that Josh Azudu steps up as he has at left tackle and can actually be some competition at right tackle. Um, what are you going to do if you're the Giants if, if you're not sure Evan Neal is the guy? Are you going to invest another day, you know, day one pick at a tackle? I think that would be insane. I wouldn't. No, I wouldn't either. I, I think, at, you know, or are you going to pay like 20, 18 to $20 million for a right tackle? I wouldn't do that either. So what are your solutions? It's either find someone internally or you draft somebody like this, right? Somebody who's like mm-hmm. a mid, like a mid day two, maybe early day three type guy who can play with flexibility, both tackle and guard, who maybe projects better as a guard, but knows how to play tackle. And, and another example of this in the NFL right now is a guy I liked a lot coming out in the 2022 draft, which was Zach Tom out of Wake mm-hmm. Forest. Remember him? So Zach Tom, yep. when he, he, he was interesting. He played both center and offensive tackle at, at Wake Forest. And there were reps of him 
at left tackle dominating some of the best edge rushers in the country. Like there was one game against Jermaine Johnson at Florida State where he completely dominated. I mean, Jermaine Johnson was a first round pick. And he's, had a, he's looking good in the NFL so far. Uh, but he projected more as an interior lineman because he had that center versatility and people thought that he just wouldn't have the athleticism or, you know, the the, the athletic, uh, I'm sorry, the, uh, the measurables to last at tackle in the NFL. But guess what? Last year, he played every position on the line, every single one for the Packers. And now he's their starting right tackle. And I think as of last week, he was like the third highest ranked tackle in the, in, in the NFL or something. So... Or third highest Langman in terms of PFF rating, at least. He's been really solid at right tackle. So, you know, it's okay to take a swing on these guys in the mid-rounds. And even if somebody says in projections, like, oh, I think they're more of a guard. You don't know. Like, they get they could get to the NFL level. And with coaching and development, they may actually be tackles. Um, at minimum, you have a guy who's flexible. And I think that's what we should be aiming for. So I don't want necessarily just a pure guard or just a pure tackle. I, I, at this point, I kind of want guys who can handle the positions with a little bit more versatility, at least for the tackle position. Yeah. Um, that's what I'm looking for. But I don't know if you have any more thoughts before we move on to the to the uh, next guy. Yeah, no. I mean, the only other thing I really had was, um, I mean, the one question I have heard of him is arm length. But according to Brugler, he has 34 and 3 fourth inch arms, which is huge. That's very long arm. So yeah. if, if that's true, that's not going to be an issue with him. I think um, the main thing you're going to be looking for is we'll see how this guy tests at the combine, because um, if you test at the combine really well, like a guy like Tristan Wirfs, who people saw only as a guard because he had the same issues that we're saying here. He overset Mm -hmm. and got beat out a beat inside, but then he tested off the charts and people were like, no, he has the athleticism to do that. Like he'll he'll figure it out and he can overset and get back inside because he has the type of athleticism to do it just needs to work on it a little bit so um you know ultimately that will be a big decider on on if people think he could play tackle i think um he was a guard coming out i don't i can't remember if you mentioned that but he was a guard coming out of high yep. school so yeah, and they moved cool. him tackle so yeah i don't know should be interesting um definitely a guy i'm interested in. i think a really good fit for the giants because i don't think it makes a lot of sense to draft uh a interior offensive lineman day uh, round two with all the needs we have. But if we, a guy mm-hmm. has versatility, you can potentially play tackle. It makes a lot more sense. I think. But, Absolutely. Um, yeah, that's about yeah. it. So yeah. no, um, I agree. Interesting one to t- pay attention to. And I, right now I think he's more of like a date. He's like a round three type guy right now, but we'll see if he climbs up the charts. Um, yep. You want to handle the number four on our list here? Yep. So I'm going to pull that one up and let's see. So, uh, Okay, so we have Donovan Jackson, and he is the left guard, as you can see here, number 74 from Ohio State. He's 6'4", 320 pounds. He was a five-star recruit. He was, you know, a very common theme as we're talking about all those Ohio State guys, but uh, yeah. he, was a, he was a number one guard in his recruiting class. Um He's mostly been a left guard so far. He's played some right guard and some right tackle, but 93% of his reps have been a left guard. So mostly a left guard. Um, one point or 1,100 plus total reps so far. So, you know, a good amount of reps, not overwhelming like some of these guys, but a good amount of reps. He's a little bit younger. He's not a, he's, you know, he's only a third year guy. Some of these guys are up the fifth year. Uh, 
you know, 47% run blocks, 53% pass blocks. Um, his 2022 grade PF grade PFF grades are 76.7 total grade, 80.1 run blocking grade, and a horrendous 60.7 pass <laughs> blocking grade last year. And you'll that will show up on tape. Um, he's up to 79 over his first couple games here. So, you know, worth considering at pass block, but you know, this is, I think this year is going to be important for him. We'll go into that a little bit more. Um, as far as his stats go, um, he has two total sacks, um, both in 2022, two total hits, both in 2022, um, 12 total hurries, nine, 2022, three this year, and then 16 total pressures, 13 in 2022 and three this year. So, um, and then he has six penalties. He had two as a freshman and four last year, none so far this year. Uh, but how about you tell them a little bit more about him outside the stats? Yeah, this is a guy that neither one of us really loves a lot. No. Um, uh, and the reason is he is supremely talented as an athlete, but it doesn't translate on the film. No. Like he's a very athletic, quick guard but he doesn't necessarily get to his blocks very well. He he has a poor anchor at times. He can be overpowered at times. Um, he doesn't display the strength you think he should based on you know his profile. Um, what he is is extremely quick with his feet, very agile and very athletic. So where that shows up as a positive is on run plays, um, mm-hmm. often as a ba- uh, like a backside pull guard, right? He he's very quick and he can get to his. He can just get around the line and and make a very nice pull block and open up running lanes because he has a kind of quickness and lateral agility and athleticism, very similar to Josh Azuda, right? That was one of his calling cards when he came out where he wasn't necessarily a great anchor guy, but he was a very good pulling guard. Um, and I think you're, you're going to see similar issues here with Jackson, albeit maybe at a higher level. Um, you know, I think he has a lot of upside. I think this is a big year for him. It's only his third year, like you mentioned. And a lot of these guys might have had similar profiles in their third year that are now out in their fifth. Um, so if, you know, if in his third year this year, he shows a lot of development, especially in pass protection. And he has much more of an anchor to, to defend the interior of the, the integrity of the interior of the line. Uh, just based on his test, I'm, I'm willing to bet he's going to test off the charts at the combine. Oh, yeah. And I think if you if he tests off the charts and he puts together a good year of tape where he's solid in pass protection, you're going to see him just climb to the top of this list. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a very likely scenario, right? Like these are the guys who climb. Um, you know, he has a lot of upside, but right now I think he's he's a bit of a risk to take because of some of the lack of pass blocking prowess. And we'll see what he does at Ohio State this year. But right now, um, I personally would rather avoid a player like this. I agree with you. One quick shout out before I jump into this. I forgot our last tape there. Um, do a barrel roll. He's on Giants Twitter. Shout out to him. I couldn't find any tape for that Washington game. So I borrowed that from his YouTube channel. Check him out. Do a barrel roll. He has the break. He has free tape on every single one of these college games. Really good channel. Check him out. I don't. I want to make sure to get that in because, you know, he's yep. big in the community. But anyway, uh, let me get into it real quick. I just didn't want to forget that. Um, yeah, I'm not, I was not a fan watching this guy on tape, man. I mean, the, like you hit on a lot of the spots, but I'm just kind of like say how I felt watching it with a lot of these guys. I was trying to find what I don't like about these guys because I yeah. wanted to find negatives and be able to show you guys what wasn't this guy good at with him. I was trying to find 
I was I was think I was nice. I was trying to be so nice in this review because I wanted to say <laughs> positives, but I I didn't like watching it. I said it to you yeah. earlier today it's where it. I was like, if this guy came into the NFL and played exactly like he played first as Ohio State last year, exactly the same at an NFL level, I'd be like, nah, he's fine. He's startable. Like, he, and that's without the change to the next level. So, like, look, I'll I'll give him credit. He he uses athleticism and cr- climbs to the next level very well. I think that was a number one thing that popped off the tape. I think he was really good at, you know, climbing the next level and using that speed to get good position on guys. That's probably the number one thing I saw. Um, but he looked lost at times. Like I, at times I saw him like just looking for work. Like he didn't know and not looking for work and getting work, just like standing there, not blocking anybody. Yeah, like right, who, who do I block? Yeah. And a lot of guys are just constantly looking for work and go hit you, hit you. And I'll hit you. Like, right. just, he's like, into, that's he, a large he, job. He's indecisive. Like he doesn't display yeah. like the instincts you would want for a guy who has his level of athleticism because if you could couple his athleticism with better instincts, I think it would be really fierce. Uh, yeah. But there's something missing in the game here. Um, and I think you, maybe he puts it together this year, but I agree with you. Like, I'm not thrilled a guy like this. I feel like this is the kind of guy that would really frustrate you. He would miss blocks altogether. Yeah. And, 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 I, and you're going to just see it. He's going to pop off in a negative way on tape when we review game film with him in the NFL. Yep. And I'll say, you know, I could say about every other one of these guys, including the next guy we're going to talk about, that these guys are aggressive players, play through the whistle, all that type of stuff. I can't say that about about Jackson, and that's something that's important to me. I want guys who who have a mean streak to them, and I didn't see that. And I felt like a lot of time he'd give a he'd give a guy a pop, and he'd just stop. He'd pop and stop. I don't know if that's a thing, but that's what he <laughs> that he would do. Um, but yeah, I was not I was not a fan of his tape at all, man. So uh, hopefully he does better. You know. With, he was a true sophomore. I gotta give him a break, but I was I didn't I didn't like it. So that's all I have. Yeah, and I, like I said, I think right now he's a he's a day three guy. But um, I think with athletic testing and if he puts together a good year on tape, he's a climber. And that's how yep. I look at him. More more upside than some of the other guys in terms of the ability to climb up the boards. All right, let's get to number five on our list. Um, this is our last of our top five interior offensive linemen. And the other, the top four were all guards, because we think that's what the Giants need with John Michael Schmitz um, being a locked-in center, hopefully for years to come. But we would be remiss to mention the top five interior offensive linemen in this class and not bring up this guy. This is a center, Cedric Van Pran from Georgia. Six of four, 310 pounds. He's in his fourth year. Uh, he was a track and field athlete. In shot put, discus, javelin, he has over 2,000 reps, all at center. 2,000 reps at center. Yeah. 50-50 run and pass game. Um, solid, you know, PFF grades. 2022, he was a 69 overall, 68 in pat run blocking, 72 in pass blocking. Um, those numbers can be a little bit misleading sometimes, but if you watch him on tape, he's just a he's just a sturdy anchor of a human being. He's strong. He's a very, very strong interior offensive lineman. Um, I think if there's a knock on him, maybe he's not as fleet of foot as some of the other more, you know, like the Jason Kelsey types, but he's a, he's a strong anchored, big, strong guy who can just create again, a wall for his quarterback. And he's a very cerebral center because he has so many reps at just center. He understands a lot of what's going on up there. He can call line formations. He can pick up blitzes. He's, he's just a very good solid player. He's a day one starter. Like he's a, 
he's a plug and play, start him and he, you know, draft him and he's your starting center for the next five to 10 years kind of guy, like right off the bat. So if you need a center, he's the, he's the best one in this class as a, as a draft right away. And he may go earlier than some of these other guys just because of that trait. But uh, what do you have any other thoughts on Cedric Van Pran? Yeah. I mean, I'll just, I'll just hit a little bit with the stats here. Um, so in, 2022, he had a 69 PFF grade, nice, um, 68.5 run block grade, 72.1 pass block grade, um, only allowed one sack his entire career at Georgia. Um, that was in 2021. Only one hit his entire career at Georgia. That was in 2022. Um, 21 total hurries, only uh, 11 in 2022, and 23 total pass rushes. That was uh, 12 in 2022 and nine penalties throughout his career, four of them in 2022. But yeah, I mean, I think you nailed it. He is a, he's a very good day one player. I think the question comes with the Giants after just drafting John Michael Smith. Is, yeah. yeah. Do, do you think this guy can play guard? And so he, I mean, he played a little bit of guard as in his freshman year, if I recall, but not a lot. Right. I mean, I think he's or at least he's trained in guard, at least, I think, as a recruit. But he's basically started at center. Is that is I what I want to every say? Every single one of his reps in Georgia is a center and he came into col- uh, college of center. So that's the worry. But he does have decent. He's decent athleticism. You know and, what? You're. I'm sorry. I'm thinking of our next guy. I apologize. Yeah, you're right. He, he, yeah, yeah. he has nothing. Yeah, I'm confusing. But you're right. Yeah, he's a pure center. Yeah. Six, four, three, ten, though. He has size. Um, No, he is. He's a. But yeah, I mean, he's a very competitive player. He's he's so cerebral. Like I mentioned that earlier, but for a, for for him as a center, I mean, if you if anybody's listening who's not a Giants fan who's just looking for a center, he is so smart. You can see him calling out to his offensive lineman around him. He's communicating. He catches. It seems every like stunt and twist. Um, let's see, he's he's pl- he plays to the whistle. Um, he he. He he can pull from center, which you know, for uh, that's usually a, something that somebody's really athletic. I'd say he's not the most athletic person in the world, but he he's he's a hell of a worker. He's got a high motor, and yeah. he can get a, get around. I don't know if he can pull from center in the NFL. He can definitely pull from guard, but um, he, he did it in college. Um, then I would say you know he could use a little bit more strength, and his uh, I had that his grip strength wasn't the best he um sometimes i could see guys get away from him when he when he was kind of run blocking them so uh you know that's kind of all i had on him it's the question is if he could play guard and i would be willing personally to take that shot on him i i i really Really? like i think i would a third round fourth round i I think i would take that shot on him i think he's i think he's got the size i think he's uh i think he's a really solid football player and I think uh, I like that high IQ that ha- that he has, um, but I don't know. Uh, you you don't you don't think you try him at at guard? No, I like the player a lot, but I think mm-hmm. you know you just invested a you know a second round pick in John Michael Schmitz, who is looking mm-hmm. like a solid you know long term center option. He has yeah. a lot of the same attributes we're giving you know Van Pran here, which is he's. He's strong and he's sturdy and reliable and he's super cerebral and he has a ton of reps and he's a true center. Like it's similar, um, although you know obviously Van Pren's younger, but 
still, I think I, I probably would not take a, a, a center-only prospect one year after drafting uh, John Michael Schmitz. As good as Van Pran is, I, I think I would shy away from that. And I would look, if I'm looking for a lineman, I'm looking for either a true guard or, a, you know, like we said, a guard tackle prospect. That's fair. I I just think he's a really good player, and I think he could project out there. But at this point, it's an unknown, so it's kind of hard to say. I mean, you definitely have to go and bring him private workouts and kind of work him out as a guard and see what see what see what he has. So it's it's a projection, but I I, yeah. I, I think he could do it. But right. I think he's best off the center. I think he's going in the second round. Um, yeah, you think uh, so? I, centers fall a lot, but. I mean, look at John Michael Smith, look at Creed Humphreys and stuff that went late second. But I think the guys who end up projecting as like the top center in the class and whenever, especially if they're viewed as like, like a guy who could be a plug and play top 15 type center. I think those guys generally go within the first 60 to 70 picks. So I can see him going like sort of late second round. Listen to this. I would, I would consider him if he was there in the third or fourth, but I agree. I wouldn't touch. I wouldn't take him the second as an only center guy. Yeah, and I think that's where he's going. I'd be surprised if he fell further than that. All right, that's good. Uh, that, so that's our top five. I mean, that, um, it's a solid group. Um, I think most of these guys we can see on the Giants. Uh, we have one sleeper, not two this time, uh, mainly because there's just not a ton of film on a lot of these guys yet, and I think that'll happen more as we approach draft season. But we wanted to give, give you guys something. So there's one good sleeper, and I'm going to let Monty handle it because it's a special sleeper. Uh, so yeah. why don't you handle our last guy? So I wanted to give you guys one other person because, you know, for you who all know me, I'm a West Virginia fan. And no. there is no the, the, the commander of David Stills army, a West Virginia fan. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, but there there is one prospect coming to this draft who is going to be taken highly. Um, I would say he is probably most likely going to be like a third to fourth round guy. Um, but he's a very good player. Um, his name is Zach Frazier and he is out of West Virginia. As I said, he's six, three, 310 pounds. And this is his fourth year at West Virginia. He actually was the first offensive line starter from West Virginia as a true freshman, I think in like 30 or 40 years, something like that. And he started at uh, left guard, uh, for his, most of his freshman year he, he played a little bit of center um so he does have left guard experience unlike our the person we spoke to last but yeah. since then he hasn't and i personally don't think he projects very well as a as a guard he's a little bit lighter than van yeah. brant and um i i think his my number one concern with him is his anchor and that's again something that i'm a little bit more worried about with a guard than I am with a center, but um, he is a very, very smart player. That's that uh, he is, I mean, fourth year and he is somebody who you can see calling out, um, you know, different blitzes and trying, trying to call out whoever um, uh, is, is in the box and stunts and, and he handles all that correctly. He's also a very mobile player he 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 can move he's a guy who i've seen do, do a pull from center here and there which you know again it's pretty impressive when you see them do that he moves to the next level really well and he gets good positioning and he's got really good grip strength when yeah. you know when he gets his hands on you you're not getting him off so um 
And then let's see, I have his PFF grades up here as well. We'll go into that a little bit. He had an 80.8 PFF grade last year. Really, really solid. 80.9 run block. Again, really, really solid. And a 78.8 pass block. So as you can see, all around the board, this guy is just a clean prospect who's yep. kind of good at everything. Um, and last year, we'll go into, you know, he did allow three sacks last year. So that's, you know, not the best. Two hits, seven hurries, and 12 pressures, um, and had six penalties. So, you know, those don't come up as great. But, you know, PFF, he did really well in their scoring system, which essentially is just um, how many times he had positively graded plays opposed to negatively graded, negatively graded plays. And for the most part, he was positive more than he was negative, which is kind of what you see when you watch him. Uh, we don't have any tape up on him right now just because he was kind of an honorable mention guy we wanted to throw in here. He's probably not a fit for the Giants, but, um, you know, maybe there's a, a idea where they think he's a fit at left guard. I personally think he's a, a center in the NFL and, yeah. uh, you know, the anchor is going to be the biggest concern with him. But I think that's really my only concern with him overall is, is the anchor. I think he's a really solid player all around otherwise. Yeah, you got all of it. I mean, he's a good player. I mean, just he's a plug and play, another plug and play center, right? And yep. I think that's that's kind of what he is. And um, I do think he could play some guard in the NFL, but I think you're right. I think when you're facing bigger, stronger NFL sized interior defensive lineman, he's gonna get knocked off his block very easily uh, because his anchor is just not as sturdy as some of these other guys. But as a center, I think he has good leverage. He's smart. Mm-hmm. He's cerebral. He understands the position very well. He's going to be very good in it. And like. The PFF grades, you know, you can take it for what it's worth. But ultimately, when you see consistently strong grades like that, it tells you the person knows what they're doing and they're winning rep after rep after rep after yeah, rep. He's a technician. Right. And so I, I like technicians at center. You know, I like yeah. technicians who are smart and understand that you need that at center. Like mm-hmm. maybe guard, guard is kind of maybe where you want your mauler, right? That's where you want your guy who's going to toss people and, and yep. push people back. Right. But I think at center – He's a really strong prospect. So he's another guy, like, I don't know, like, I think I agree with you, like, third, fourth round is probably where he's going. I would guess, sometimes guys like this, like, you think they're worth a third round, fourth round pick, and when they're viewed as just t- true centers without versatility, you see them slide. We saw it with Olu mm-hmm. Timi from Michigan last year, when I think yeah. in the fifth round. So That's I can easily see... with Van Prent. Yeah. And I, um, although I think Van Prent's going to be viewed higher. I think he's going to be viewed yeah. as, like, that the John Michael Schmitz of this class, and will probably be, like, a top six, 70 pick. But... Um, but I, but you know, who knows, but I, I think Frazier is a solid prospect. Somebody's going to get a good center when they take him. That's how I look yeah, at it. Yeah, I agree. It, he's, he, somebody's going to get a good center. And you know, one thing I didn't mention either is that, you know, you mentioned it, that he plays with a lot of good leverage and reminded me that he is a very good leverage player. You know why he's a good leverage player. And it's not something we've said about these other offensive linemen, which I love to say about him, but we haven't gotten to, yeah. he's a wrestler yeah. and and you love wrestlers because it's all about leverage. And not only is he a wrestler, he's a four-time state champion. He only lost two times in his entire high school career as a wrestler. He is a hell of a wrestler. That's a the Tyler Linderbaum type thing, the Tristan yeah. Wirfs. You, that's a very good thing in an offensive lineman. And that's something that NFL scouts are going to love. I promise you that. They're going to talk about that on draft day. And, and I think that sometimes, and this is more of a discussion as we look at more players, we talk about things like anchor, which really I think when draft prospects look at, guys who review draft prospects look at anchor, I think they focus a lot on, on size, right? Like size and your 
And can you plop down? And do you look like you have an anchor as opposed to are you someone who's just sturdy and not getting pushed mm -hmm. backwards? Yeah. Because sometimes I really wonder when we hear about these prospects and people say, oh, I don't like their anchor. But when you watch the player, they're winning rep after rep and they're looking sturdy. And a lot of times it's because they have leverage and they maybe get pushed back a little bit, but they're not letting their block go. And they're keeping the pocket clean for the quarterback. That's kind of what you see with Frazier, right? And I think that's what the wrestlers do. The wrestlers are not they'll, – they'll, they'll get pushed back. You know, they'll lose a little bit of ground, but they won't let go. Like, they, they, they're latched on to people. And yeah. they're, they use leverage to their advantage. So they, they definitely – they punch above their weight, you yeah, know, as they, wrestlers. They won't lose a lot of reps, but when they do, it looks way worse than, like uh, – than somebody who does have that that strong lower body and that anchor, but he doesn't get put in that situation very often because he plays so technically sound and with such good leverage. Yep. All right. I think that's our six, right? That's so not seven. Yep. We had six. So I think that's pretty good for interior offensive line. Because yeah. we decided to split interior offensive line from offensive tackle. We'll be doing that soon. Um, but we wanted to give you guys that. I think this is an area where where the Giants are definitely going to be looking, unfortunately. Uh, again, we're going to yeah. be looking for a guard. So we'll see. And like I said, I think our preference is find somebody with tackle and guard versatility. I think that's a really coveted trait, and we should look at that. And those guys are not usually first-round picks. They're day two, day three guys. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's where we, we, we've got to be targeting somebody, and I hope we do that. And, and that's irrespective of what happens to Evan Neal. Evan Neal, if he turns it around completely the the rest of the season, he locks down, and he looks like the right tackle of the future. You still need a guy you can trust, who can play with some flexibility behind him, right, and behind Andrew Thomas, and play some guard. And I think if you're going to go with Josh Azudu, you probably need another guy just like Josh Azudu, who can play both positions. So something to look at. Anyway, yep. uh, that's it for the review of our players this week. Um, like once again, thanks everybody for for the support for the views please like subscribe um we're gonna put together this series we're gonna go through all 11 position groups and hopefully have a large database of players you guys can tap into as especially yep. as we approach draft season but for those of you who are sticking with us and watching these we appreciate it um i haven't even looked at the college football schedule for next week i'll be honest because i was so focused on the giants game yeah i didn't uh, either yeah so we'll you know just watch some college football guys uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know figure it out on saturday uh but yeah you know uh, i i think going into we have a weekend where we don't have a giants game now that we're done uh and we have a long stretch of 11 days out of games so we're gonna have a lot of a lot to talk about about the giants and coming up with seattle game and guys getting healthy and there's a lot to discuss but um thank you guys as always um i think i'll close it out here unless you have any closing words monty nope that's all i got man thank you guys for for watching and uh you know see yeah, you next follow, week make sure you follow us i follow me at queens underscore guy and follow monty at at monte cristo spelled at m-o-n-t-e-c-r-i-5-t-o uh reach out to us on twitter dm us any you know we're going to post a lot of these clips online uh, on he's a giant pod um and we'll certainly be retweeting those um and interact with us please let us know what you're talking if you have any ideas suggestions reach out to us but again we support we appreciate all your support like subscribe and we'll see you guys next week see you next week